I uh, switched the topics around just a little bit. So last week we talked about Christianity kind of in comparison to ancient religions. So what makes Christianity different than all of that pagan stuff, right? Um, and then the week before we just kind of, well, I just kind of talked about religion a lot, um, thinking about what's the question that religion actually answers, like what actually is it? Um, this week, we're talking about the core of the gospel. So this is the good news that every Christian's been told to go tell everybody about. So it's really exciting and I will probably get carried away. Um, I really like this book here. It's called Rescued um, and it's by Father John Ricardo. And he does such an excellent job in this book of explaining what the core of the gospel message is that basically I stole most of his stuff. Um, and so one of the uh, things they teach you when you're trying to learn how to preach homilies in the seminary is if you're coming up with something brand new that uh, you've never heard before, you might want to go make sure you're not like preaching falsehoods and heresy and stuff. So, um, but he, he presents it in a really great way. So I'm going to be using a lot of his work in today's talk. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, when we were talking about religion, the question was, what does it all mean? And that's a great place to start, but there's some other questions we're always asking deep in our hearts. Why am I here, right? Not like here at this church today, not like living here in the city of Wichita, but why am I here? Just period on this earth. Like, why do I exist? Where am I going? Again, not as in the sense of like this afternoon, but where where am I going to be for all of eternity? Like, is there something after this? Where am I going? Where is my life taking me? And then finally, how do I get to where I want to be? Right? Those are these three questions. The uh, ancient philosophers had questions that they basically said were the basis of philosophy because they're the ones that are deep in every human being, whether we want them to be there or not. And it's these kind of questions like, why am I here? Where am I going? How do I get there? And so as we try to come up with answers to these questions, we have to start somewhere. So with me, and with a lot of Catholics, we have a couple of convictions, um, kind of basic things we start with when we try to answer questions like that. So the first one is we're not alive by chance. Um, like the fact that I'm here is not a mistake. Um, if you look around the world, there seems to be a lot of chaos and things like that, but there does seem to be like an intentionality as to like things existing, right? Um, <clears throat> so basically what this tells us, and I'll talk about this a little bit more later as I get into creation, uh, each of us was willed into existence and were created for exactly the moment that we're at. That's just kind of something I start with. Um, St. Joan of Arc has this really cool line. She said, I am not afraid. God is with me. I was born for this, right? And so going back to 
to thoughts like that can give us courage to confront these really challenging questions. I was born for this. Um, okay, the second kind of ground level thing is if you look around the world, it's kind of in a bad place right now. And it seems to have just gotten a lot worse in the last month or so. There's like a whole new war starting, um, which I shouldn't be kind of joking about, but it's true. Um, he says it in the book that the world is crying. And one of the things that he pulls out to kind of demonstrate this is that in 2018, for the first time in 100 years, we had the third consecutive year of life expectancy declining in the United States. Um, the last time that happened was 1918, when we were dealing with World War I and the Spanish flu epidemic, which was the deadliest epidemic in world history, just by sheer numbers of people whose lives it took. Um, and if you dig into the history of that, apparently that was a gift from Kansas to the rest of the world. Thanks. Somewhere up around Manhattan in the pig farms, from what I understand. Um, great. But it went with our soldiers over to Spain, and then that's when it got really bad. Anyways, so World War I and the Spanish flu epidemic decreased life expectancy in the world for three years straight. And in 2018, the second time this happened, it was not the Spanish flu. It was not a world war. The main three causes of early death were suicide, cirrhosis of the liver, and opioids. Um, and when that's the case, it tells you something's really wrong. Um, and then Father Ricardo says that the church is crying too. So he uses that kind of really um, visceral language to get across like there's just something wrong. Um, but uh, the church is crying because the world is, uh, because she wants to help us get out of it. Um, but we're always stuck fighting fires, and so we can't ever get out ahead of it. Um, he says, he uses this really great analogy, which is great for people in uh, pews on Sundays to hear <laughs> um, that working in the church is kind of like a football game where you have 22 men desperately in need of rest running around doing everything on the field and then thousands of people in the stands watching them do all that work who are desperately in need of exercise. Um, so if I ever get a little exhausted sounding, <laughs> it's because I identify with that quote a little bit too much. Um, anyways, so those are kind of the three things we take for granted when we're talking. Um, but the deal is, at the end of the day, God wants the world back. He wants us to have that joy and that happiness in our hearts that we were created to have. And he wants us all back to pull us away from that despair that's causing all those problems in the world. Um, he wants us to have that joy of heaven. Um, and he made us for that. So the gospel, what we read in the gospel, is God's response to all of that. Um, St. Paul says, no, wait, you don't need that. Okay. Oh, yeah, no, that's important part. Sorry. This is the other problem of writing this thing a little bit late in the night. <laughs> you forget what you wrote. Okay. St. Paul, in the letter to the Romans, writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And so what St. Paul is telling us is this good news of the gospel 
It's not just words on a page, it's power. And it's the same word, it's uh, dynamos, uh, dynamis, which is the root of the word dynamite. So it's that kind of explosive power is what St. Paul is talking about. And usually when um, you get me like sitting in the pew listening to someone preach the gospel, I don't think that this is an explosive power about to come out to the world, but that's because I'm reading it wrong, because I'm not getting all the context. And so that's what we're gonna try and do today, is set the context and then why the gospel is such good news. Um, I really like one of the analogies he uses in here. Um, so I'm going to just start working with that. Imagine it's June 6, 1944, and you're living in Normandy, France. Military forces from the United States, England, and Canada are landing on the five beaches around us. You've heard about this. And because of all the stuff going on around you with World War II and all that, you know that those people are here for one reason and one reason alone. There is a monster that needs to be stopped and that's what they're here to do. Juxtapose that with another scene, a cave in Bethlehem. You have a poor young Jewish woman who just gave birth to a baby boy and her husband Joseph is with her. And they look at that child and they're wondering why are we here? These two things are way more related than we might realize. On June 7, 1944, you would open up the paper, if they still had the paper printing at that point, hadn't been destroyed. But if you got the paper, it would have a massive headline in it. The Allies have landed at Normandy. And if you're sitting there having coffee with someone, they might be looking at you, anything interesting in there today, right? You probably wouldn't get the response, eh, not really, something about some armies on Normandy, right? No, it would be this ecstatic response of, they've finally come to save us, right? That's what the gospel is trying to tell us with the birth of Jesus, that God came to this world and he's finally here to save us. That's the answer to why, right? He came to save us, but we can't see it because we don't realize just how bad things had gotten. So the four kind of questions that guide the proclamation of the gospel. Why is there something rather than nothing? That is, what is creation? Why is everything so obviously messed up? Who got us? <laughs> What has God done about it? He came to rescue us. And how should I respond to all this news? So we'll start with creation. In the beginning, right? The book of Genesis. Um, so we have to recognize that the Bible is this library of books and they're all different in how they were written and why they were written. Um, some are books of history, some are books of poetry, some are books where they're mixed together. It can get a little bit confusing. But the important thing is that the Bible is always trying to help us understand what is true. And it's answering a different question 
of truth than what we're used to. So we're reading a math textbook or a science textbook so much, uh, so often the kind of truth we want is how, right? Like when I was doing my engineer school and we're reading a book about how the electromagnetic waves travel down those big wires and get the power from the plant to my house, right? I want to know how that works so that I can use these tools to get power to people's houses, right? I'm reading for the how. The Bible is not answering that question. It's answering so often the why. Why were we created? That's what Genesis is trying to tell us in the story of creation. And it's obviously that's what's going on because there's two creation stories back to back and they have some different details, right? They work together if you realize that it's trying to answer why were we created, not how were we created. The, um, the uh, ancients were not crazy people and they weren't stupid and they probably noticed that they gave this story in terms of days and nights, but the sun and the moon weren't created until the fourth day and night, right? Like there's obvious incongruities in there if you're trying to answer like a scientific how. So it's, they're trying to answer why. And the question of why is creation here? Well, the answer is simple. It's love, right? It's the love that God has for creation. Now, this is a really unique idea, and I'm going to dig into it a little bit because it's not how anybody else in the world saw creation up until this revolutionary idea that the Jewish people put on paper was. Last week, we talked about how pagan religions had a lot of gods, and most of them were way worse than us, right? They were like the exemplars of bad behavior if you really dig into the pagan gods. Like, they're just bad, right? Even the stories that we hear about the pagan gods have been sanitized compared to the stuff they would have read about them back then and the stories they would have told. And so the worldview that would arise from a belief system like that essentially says that humanity is here to do the bidding of the gods, otherwise they're just going to get destroyed. And so humanity has no inherent dignity. It's kind of depressing if you think about it. And it explains a lot of the ancient world, though, um, that they didn't think that they had freedom to do whatever they wanted to do. Um, that's a wrong way to phrase that, sorry. They didn't have freedom to be anything greater than they started as, right? Um, and unfortunately, our modern worldview kind of leads to the same point because around us in the world, we have a lot of people who say that there isn't a universal truth, which is not the same thing as having a bunch of different gods, but it boils down to the same thing, that there's not really a purpose for us. And so it leads away from human dignity because um, there's no point and there's no purpose and there's no importance to our life. 
Um, and we can even see the same sorts of things happening. Instead of the gods being the ones to enslave humanity, now it's worldly powers, and we can actually name them, right? We can look around us and see which corporation or which government is trying to be in control of us. Um, but what we often don't see, because our modern world is very materialist, is that there are spiritual powers behind that. But compare that to what we see in Genesis. In Genesis, we see that there's only one God. We see that he is good and that he cares and that he needs nothing outside of himself. That he is responsible for all of creation and that when he created, he did so freely and basically effortlessly and that it was out of love. We can see that through the story that he created out of love and we were created good. If you read Genesis 1, the first chapter of the Bible, God created and it was good every day and it was good and it was good. And the culmination of that creation was humanity. On that last day of creation, after everything had been gotten ready, he created humanity. And then he rested because the most important thing was now done. Furthermore, man and woman were created in the image and in the likeness of God, which made he somehow means he somehow made us like him, a reflection of him. And then he gave us a job, which was essentially to help him order the earth, right? That's what the Garden of Eden is all about, is bringing God's order into this created world. And so when that is how we understand our existence to be, like why we understand that we're here, it leads to a totally different conclusion than this undignified mass of people. Because when that, when we understand that to be why we are here, humanity has a great dignity because we're made like God. Humanity has a great dignity because we are this pinnacle of the created world. And why we're the pinnacle is totally mysterious, right? Like, why did he do it this way? I don't know. It's because he loves us, but that's mysterious. And we just don't get, like, they actually call it the scandal of specificity. Like, why does God love the way he does? We don't know. And it's scandalous a little bit, you know, because it's so particular for us. Um, but also, this tells us that we have an incredible need because there's nothing in this world that will satisfy us. And we see this in the creation story, too. You have Adam, who, despite all the gifts that he's given, longs for that companionship uh, that he can't receive. And so uh, God creates woman as the companion for man, right? Again, this is the why, not the how, right? Um, but there's a recognition that humanity 
needs the pe- like we need other people to be happy. But even more than that, it's not just going to be other people. Because Adam and Eve lived in the garden with God, and that's when they were actually happy, is when they were with God. And when they were out of the garden because they made that mistake and they weren't with God, that's when the trouble started, right? And we're going to talk about the trouble in just a minute, but I want to focus on creation for just a little while longer to help us understand why the love of God is a really important and incredible thing. And then I'm going to move it along because I'm talking too slow again. (laughs) This is a theme. All right. Um, We were created to be loved and to love, and it was in that order. Okay, so God loves us. We do not have to earn that love. We already have it. And that's a big deal because of who this God is. In that creation story, the first one I was talking about, Genesis 1.16, it says, God made the two great lights, the greater one to govern the day and the lesser one to govern the night and the stars. And that's how it phrases it, right? He made the sun and the moon. Oh, yeah, and he made the stars, too. It's like he makes the stars as an afterthought. But let's ponder the stars for a second. In our galaxy, the Milky Way, there's probably 100 billion stars. That's a lot of stars. But then our, our, our universe is 46 billion light years across, the science people think. And they estimate there's probably 100 billion galaxies in that 46 billion light years worth of universe. So you do the math, and um, that's one with 9, 18, uh, 20... That's a one with 22 zeros behind it of stars. I don't even know how to say that number. It's so big. And it was an afterthought. (laughs) Okay. So our God has great power. Um, There's, uh, he also points out in that book uh, that there's this one star called Canis Major. And you can fit seven quadrillion Earths in it. And again, that's a number so mind-bogglingly big, I don't understand it. But basically, um, I think it's one with four sets of zeros behind it, um, or maybe more. But you can't even count to like a trillion, because uh, if, you, if you count like one number every second or so, it'll take you 30,000 years to get to a trillion. <laughs> um, So these are enormous numbers, enormous amounts of creation, and God makes it kind of as an afterthought is what this tells us, which is just an emphasis of the massive power he has, and yet he loves us. He knows our name. The Bible tells us he's counted the hairs on our head, right? And of course, there's the joke, it didn't take him long for me, but you know... (laughs) That's who this guy is. And so love 
The love of God answers these questions. Why am I here? Because God created us because he loves us. The best explanation I've ever heard because it just, I don't know, something about it speaks to me is God had a story in his mind about something in creation that could choose to love him back. And he fell in love with that story so much that he created it. And that's us. Where am I going? Well, God loves us. So he created us so that we can get back to him and be happy forever, right? The, the fact that we're called to heaven is not a minor thing. It's really important. And then how do I get there? We're going to talk about that. But God's love for us was revealed by his son. And that's how we get there is by following his son back to him. This is all definitely stuff that God can do because, remember, he is very powerful, <laughs> made all that stuff. Um, you know, sometimes we get to thinking, maybe God can help me. But then if you think about it, of course he can, <laughs> right? If he can create a one with 24-0 behind its stars, of course he can help us with whatever it is that we need. Um, so... If God created us out of love, if he has all that power, then how the hell did we get into the mess that we're in today, right? Because we look around the world and it does not appear to be filled with love, right? It appears to be filled with conflict and division and just people being awful to each other. That's the hard part. The fact that we're not where we ought to be. It's the bad stuff. Um, and the reason that that happened is because our history as humanity, it doesn't just involve us and God. There are other actors involved. Um, scriptures, they reveal to us what happened. They reveal what always happens, right? Every single person who is born has the same things happen to them. Because that other one that I mentioned is Satan and his minions. And they just kind of do the same thing every time because it works a lot. And they're also not very creative because they're not God and they just don't have that power to be that creative. So, the scriptures teach us how to fight him, but first we have to know what happened and how we got here. We have to know who our enemy is, why our enemy hates us, his names, his strategy, his tactics, his goals, right? This is the really unpleasant stuff. Uh, I'm going to move through it a little more quickly because I just don't like talking about it, right? If you guys are here on Sundays and you hear me preaching, I talk about heaven a lot because that's where we want to go. I talk about hell sometimes because it's just too depressing, but we also need to know it's a possibility. So the first thing is our enemy is real, okay? Um, a lot of times you'll run into people who don't think that evil is real, that Satan is real, that the devil is real, but he is. Um, you can see it in the world. His, his actions reflect in the world. Um, and we know where he came from. He was created along with the other angels. 
He was an angel. Well, he is an angel. That's the kind of creature he is. In fact, he was called the highest of the angels. His uh, first name, Lucifer, means bearer of light. Um, he was believed to be one of the closest angels to our Lord, um, but he rebelled. Um, and just from those things, we learn a lot that he was created, so he has no power over God. Uh, but in scripture, we hear him called over and over the ruler of this world. So he does have power in this world. We also know he's an angelic being, so we can't take him lightly because angels, bad or good, are more powerful and more intelligent than humans because of just how they exist. Okay, um, so when we know these things, it helps us understand that we were not born into this like neutral territory, right? Earth is not neutral territory. It's actually a battleground. When each of us were born, a new fight began and it's the fight for our souls for all of eternity. God wants our soul and he wants our happiness because he loves us. But we have an enemy. His name is Satan, the accuser or the devil, which means the divider. And he rebelled and wants to cause our downfall because he has envy for us. Because before creation began, well, probably during creation, it's a little iffy. Once we get that, like, <laughs> ethereal about things, time is a little wonky. It doesn't go in quite the order we want it to um, because our Lord is outside of time. I'll probably talk about that at some point. I don't know. I got a lot of stuff I got to cover before Easter. <laughs> um, but he reveled because of envy. Uh, envy is the sadness over the good fortune of another. In this case, the other is us. And the sadness is, remember that I said humanity was the pinnacle of creation. Um, unlike the angels, there's something really unique about us human beings. And that is essentially we can change our minds. So we were given free will and the ability to choose what we do. And we can change our minds and turn back to God when we've done something wrong. That is not something an angel can do simply because that's not the type of being that they are. And so we have this special ability to turn back to God. And because of that, we have this great capability for love. We don't always get there. We don't always exercise it as well as we would like, but our capacity for it is incredible. And so we were to be elevated even higher than the angels. And so when then named Lucifer saw that, he envied us. He had sadness because of the good that was coming to humanity because he might have to serve us, and he was not going to do that. So that's why he fell. His sin was pride, but the why is the envy, all right? God created us, gave us freedom, and wishes to elevate us so that we can live with him. And so the devil, in his envy for us, seeks to make a mockery of all that.
He seeks to destroy humanity, to enslave us in one way or another, and to degrade us. And if you look, this is the pattern of evil. It destroys human life, it enslaves human beings, and those that aren't destroyed or enslaved, evil tries to degrade us and drag us down and make us feel like we're nothing. So his strategy is to separate us from God and pick us off one by one, to convince us that God is not a good father, that we can't trust him, and that we can be happy without him. And the way that he does this is he accuses us. So he'll, he'll put those thoughts in our head, you know, oh, you're the worst one, right? You did this thing, you're awful, right? With lies, right? Um, you know, the thing that we know is obviously bad for us, we start hearing that thing, well, it's not that bad, right? It'll be fun, you know? Divisions, right? You see that one so often, you know. Uh, we have these people and we know that spending time with them is good for us, for example, but then we get that idea in our head, well, do they really actually like me? No, I should probably stay away from them. Uh, flattery, temptations, discouragement, all of these different methods to try and just get us away from what's good for us. Because that goal, like I said, it's enslavement. We either belong to God or we belong to something else. There's so much that seems like there's um, a grayness to it, but in this case, it actually isn't gray. It's either white or black, um, God or the other. Um, because all the other stuff leads to darkness. Um, you read through the Bible and the consequences of all of, like, of not turning to God, essentially, are death and sin. And the Bible, when it talks about us, in our, in our, in our English translations, um, it makes them sound like just kind of these things that happen to us. But if you dig deeper, they talk about death and sin like they're powers, like they do stuff to us. Um, and that's really how the, the church through time and, and how Judaism through time has understood death and sin. Um, death is like this thing that seeks us out and eventually gets us all, right? Probably has something to do with, you know, the, this idea of the Grim Reaper that's so much, like it's really popular around Halloween, right? Um, that this, this creepy dude comes and gets you eventually, right? Um, but sin too, right? Um, and if you think about it, it actually makes a lot of sense, right? Because I think every single one of us has at least once in our life thought, no, I really don't want to do this, and then we do it anyway, <laughs> right? And not like in a good way, right, where we're being, oh, like if my parents tell me to do something and I don't want to do it and I do it anyway, right? That's a different sort of thing, right? <laughs> but like, no, this is bad for me and I don't want to do it, and yet you find yourself doing it, right? because sin has this weird power. Um, and so that enslavement that the devil seeks is enslavement to sin. So when that sin has that power over us, not just to have it be like a once in a while thing, but more like addiction, right? Um, the cycle of addiction is really um, 
enlightening about what, what we're talking about here because someone will fall into um, something, right? And then they need more and more and more of it to keep that kind of excitement going, right? Um, with opioids that I mentioned earlier, it's a chemical sort of thing, right? But, um, but basically we lose our ability to have the free will to, to make that decision to turn back to our Lord. And so that enslavement is very much like addiction and we can get addicted to sin. And um, that's what the devil's trying to do. So now I've talked about the bad stuff. I'll talk about the good stuff. I actually will wrap it up on time. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Okay. So that's the situation that we're in. And it's because of sin, because we've got an enemy who hates us and wants to destroy us. But remember that part where I said God loves us. It faded in the background while we're talking about what happened, but it never faded into the background for God. There's a few lines in Isaiah uh, that I want to read from you that tells us what our Lord, what his response to this was. Can the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? Surely, thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken and the prey of the tyrant shall be rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you. Then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord, your savior. I am your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. So God saw this happening and because he loves us, he didn't even just leave it up to one of the angels who stayed with him. He decided he was going to do something about it himself, right? And isn't that the most powerful thing? When we see someone that we love, we go help them ourselves. You know, if there's anything we can do to get there, we will do it. And so that's what God did. He came into creation, the creation that had gotten all messed up, and his name was Jesus, and he was the Son, and he was born on Christmas Day. And we call this, we have a fancy name for it, it's the incarnation, it comes from the Latin, it means taking flesh. So God took human flesh on. And so a lot of times we see those pictures of Christmas and we think, oh, cute baby, right? And I do too, because babies are cute, right? I love Christmas. It's great. Um, Like when my friends have a kid, I want to hold the baby. That's just how it works. We like babies, all right? (laughs) Catholics really like babies. Um, (laughs) But Christmas wasn't like just a minor thing. It wasn't just a regular birth of a baby. Because remember, they call Satan the ruler of this world, And if God wants to do something about it and come into this world, if he comes in to this world, it's not just him being born. It's an invasion. God invades this world by coming into it himself. And because he's God and because of that power that I mentioned to create everything, that means that Um, he looks at Eisenhower uh, planning D-Day and says, dude, hold my beer. I got this. Check this out, (laughs) right? (laughs) 
This is how stories are in my head, sorry. <laughs> Maybe not sorry, that's just how my brain works. It's like, just the idea of God saying, yeah, dude, hold my beer, let me show you what real power is, <laughs> right? That was what Christmas Day was about. Um, this, this great line from the Book of Wisdom, while gentle silence enveloped all things, and night in its swift course was not half gone, your all-powerful word leaped from heaven, from the royal throne, into the midst of a land doomed, a stern warrior. Ooh, yeah. That's some, some powerful language from the Bible telling us what God came to do to free this land that was doomed. And then, as if that wasn't obvious enough, we have St. John in one of the New Testament letters saying, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Oh, just in case you didn't get it in the nice figurative language here, I'm just going to tell you what this was, all right? Um, so God came into the world as a child, basically in disguise. Because the devil, while he's very smart, very intelligent, very powerful, he's not all-knowing, and he is not all-powerful. So if God comes into this world looking like a human, there's no reason for the devil to think he's anything other than human. So he didn't know who he was fighting when that one came into the world. He was disguised, God was, as a human being. And when that little boy named Jesus grew up, there's one day he goes to the synagogue and tells us all exactly what he's about to do. Essentially, he declares war on the devil when he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord. And if you know the part of Isaiah that he's talking about, liberty to captives is freedom from slavery sight to the blind, healing of our human ailments, to let the oppressed go free, to make it so we don't have to sin, right? Like we don't have to choose sin. And to proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord, that's code for the Sabbath, that day of rest. But when we use that phrase, what it means is to say that we're able to return to God and be in heaven with him. So he was telling everybody what he came to do. And then if we keep sticking with Christ, we see it all culminate in the cross. All right. And the cross is this crazy thing because we look at it, this God who's all powerful, all knowing, can do whatever. And for some reason, um, he got nailed to a cross, and that was how he decided to save us. And it doesn't make a lot of sense, but if you think about it, the only way God is on the cross is if he wants to be there. And then the next thought is, why the heck would he want to be there? <laughs> 
I would not want to be there. He's doing three things. He's showing us the love that the Father has for us, for his children. He's making atonement for us. It's a fancy word, but essentially it means that there is a gap between God and us, and someone needs to close it. And so that's what that is, is closing the gap. And then finally, he's going to war to rescue us. And that war is fought on the cross because remember, death and sin are those powers that the devil uses to control us. And so when he was on the cross, he looked weak. And when he looked weak, Satan, not knowing who he was dealing with, thought that he could win because he knew that he was powerful, right? He would have seen the miracles just like everybody else, but he didn't believe him. He didn't think Jesus was God because, you know, Satan is not an idiot. He knows he can't beat God. So when Jesus appears and takes this human appearance, he thought he could win. So Satan tried to kill him. And then Christ essentially exploded death from the inside because death can't hold the Lord. All right, I've got some quotes in here that are long and I'm already behind on time, so I'm going to avoid reading all of them. But essentially, well, that's exactly what they all say. It's just really fun ways to say it. The church fathers, so these guys back in the 400s to 700s wrote that over and over again, that the reason Christ was on the cross was so that the devil would try to take him, to inflict death upon him, but then Christ destroys the power of sin and the power of death. And by doing that, what he did was he beat the devil at his own game and destroyed his kingdom because if sin and death are destroyed, the, the devil has no tools that can control us. Um, basically, he hid as a human, invited Satan to destroy him, and then turned the tables and destroyed the power that Satan has over us. And so what he did on the cross was he humiliated his enemy, right? Satan's powerless now. He destroyed death. Death can't hold humanity because Christ became fully human, which means that not only he, but us will live past this life. He destroyed the kingdom of the devil, which means that now we can be a part of the kingdom of God. He made a way for us to get back to the Father, that atonement I mentioned, he became the bridge between humanity and God, um, that bridge that was lost. He recreated us. That's another conversation. Rendered sin impotent. I already talked about that. I'm getting a little repetitive there. Um, he gave us authority over our enemy, right? Um, so if you look, the apostles are going left and right, casting out evil spirits uh, and things like that because they're powerless in the face of our Lord. And then he sent us on a mission to get his world back. And that's for another talk. But he destroyed sin, paves the road for eternal life. That's what the cross was all about.
and he could only do it that way, and he chose to. Um, when you hear a Catholic refer to the Paschal mystery, that's what we're talking about. The suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's the most important mystery of our entire faith because that is when everything that works against us was defeated. And that's the moment that resurrection became possible for us. And that's the moment when we could start going to heaven. Um, you get all these... Okay, I'm gonna squirrel here for just a minute. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully just a minute. Before Christ's resurrection, um, you had all these just people who died, right? And the, the fathers of our church um, were like, so what happened to them, right? Because they didn't go to hell. They were just, they were holy, they were close to God. And then you have a couple people in the Old Testament who basically get uh, swept up to heaven. But if we believe that the resurrection of Christ is what opened heaven for us to be able to get there, they must have been somewhere else. So this is when you get that uh, fun and exciting doctrine of things like limbo and stuff like that. Uh, that's where this comes from, is trying to figure out the afterlife and get a little too technical about it. But essentially, <clears throat> there's this incredible story written by one of the church fathers. Um, and this one like doesn't even have a name attributed to it. And they're asking, what why was Christ gone for three days? Like, what was he dur doing during those three days between when he died on the cross and when he rose from the dead? And it's, he goes to the gates of hell, pounds on the doors and says, let my children go. And of course, the devil doesn't want to open the doors, so he destroys the doors caves them in, takes his children, starting with Adam, culminating with John the Baptist, who was the greatest of the people who died before Christ, and brings them up to heaven with him. So he's plundering the devil's kingdom during those three days that he was in the ground, uh, in the tomb, I should say. He wasn't in the ground. Um, like, and it's an incredible thing to think about. They read that in uh, Eastern liturgies on Holy Saturday. We read it as part of our divine office on Holy Saturday, that that's what he was busy doing on those days, plundering this, um, these souls that the devil had tried to take for himself. And our Lord said, not so fast. I want them. And um, just these are, these are the things that we've thought about so much. Um, anyways, that's, we call that the Paschal Mystery. Um, that's why Easter is an even greater holiday than Christmas, though. Christmas is, like, probably my favorite, not going to lie. I just like that time of year. I like how we celebrate it. But um, Easter is the most important holiday because that's the day that heaven was opened to us. Um, I have a lot of quotes in here that I'm not going to read to you. Um, St. Paul spends a lot of time reminding us that this mystery of the suffering, death, and resurrection of Christ is really hard to accept 
and that a lot of people think that we're very foolish for thinking that, um, that this is how we were saved. Um, but he sticks to it and says, uh, it's true. This is the power of God, that nothing can hold him back. Um, he reiterates it. So when St. Paul uh, is writing his letter, uh, first letter to the Corinthians, this is how he recounts all of what I just said, essentially, right? Um, because they had a lot more historical context to make it work than we do. St. Paul says, I handed on to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, the 12, after that more than 500, most of whom are still living, after that to James, to all the apostles, last of all, he appeared to me. And then, so that's St. Paul in like three sentences saying all of that. He compresses it a lot. Um, and then he says, uh, if it's false, right? What are the consequences if this is false? If there's no resurrection of the dead, Christ is not raised. If Christ was not raised, then our preaching is empty. We're false witnesses to God. <laughs> and um, our faith is in vain, right? So the stakes are high if we're wrong, is what Paul is saying. Um, and he says that if we're wrong, we're the most pitiable people of all. And yet... Paul goes and spreads this good news with all of his energy and all of his power, and eventually it takes his life because it's not false. It is the truth. Um, and it's one of those truths that we have to live to understand. It's not something that makes sense from the outside. So, um, wrapping it all up, that's what God did to save us, right? Um, so when we know why we're here, why we're created out of love, the mess that humanity found itself in and what God did to save us, the last thing that we have to ask is, so what am I gonna do about it, right? Um, well, gratitude. Um, there's two ways we express that. As Catholics, um, we worship God one for who he is, right? I talked about that last week. People are gonna worship somebody. Uh, Bob Dylan even knew that. He said, you gotta serve somebody. I don't know how the song goes. I've heard it, but I don't remember it. I just know that line's in there. <laughs> Cody knows that line. <laughs> we worship God for who he is, but then we give him th praise and thanksgiving for what he's done. So there's two different kinds of ways to give him that gratitude. Um, surrender to God, basically, willfully asking the Lord what he wants us to do and then going ahead and doing it. And then finally, um, the courage to share the good news, right? To figure out a way to help us understand this beautiful faith that we have um, and the incredible gifts that God has given us. Um, and if we look through history, we see courageous Christians sharing this faith through their actions, right? We see the care of the sick and the care of the poor, which was not something that was really done before Christianity. We see, um, well, uh, frankly, we see women treating 
being treated like actual human beings for the first time with Judaism uh, a bit and then with Christianity uh, because our best saint, our greatest saint, the, the, the greatest person who ever lived that was not also God was Mary, right? Um, we do our best to elevate women and sometimes it doesn't seem like that because we have a bad idea of what that elevation might look like. Um, but like recognizing that women have dignity just like men is a very Christian thing to do. Because um, before Christianity, it was all about the power you could wield over another um, with force. And after Christianity, we realize that's not actually how dignity works. Um, the gospel was proclaimed to the ends of the earth, right? Um, we have this crazy thing where I, I can't remember if it was like Japan or Vietnam or Korea, one of those countries in Asia though, uh, when the missionaries got there in the 15 or 1600s, they found a Christian community that had somehow been founded there in nearly apostolic times. And all they had was baptism and a little shred of the faith. And this community, without the mass, without the other sacraments, was doing their best to live Christianity, even though all they could do was baptize. And so when the, when the missionaries got there, they were flabbergasted. <laughs> like, they said, how are Christians here, <laughs> right? Because this good news had spread throughout all of the world and even to parts of the world that we somehow forgot about in the in-between times. The gospel had spread there. Um, forgiveness, right? This is something we see over and over again. We see the Christian martyrs um, forgiving the people who killed them. And we even have some saints where, um, I forget exactly which one it was, but there was a Roman soldier and his job was to kill one of the Christians. And because of the forgiveness the Christian gave them and the courage with which they approached this man, um, he said, I don't know what they have, but that is worth following. He converted on the spot, <laughs> was baptized, and then lost his head because you couldn't be a Roman soldier and be a Christian because Roman soldiers had to worship the emperor, and that doesn't work for Christians. Um, so, anyways, <laughs> I wrote in here. I have a lot more to say. <laughs> this is the tip of the iceberg. I'm already at three o'clock though. Dang it. Every week I say I'm going to get shorter and I just get longer. <laughs> I'm going to have to rein this in. Um, the good news is incredible. Um, the gospel is incredible when we really understand what it's trying to tell us. Uh, we have to do a lot. That, that's why I spend so much time going into the background of it, because when we understand the background of it, it becomes just much more incredible. Um, but uh, today, what we did was we talked about the core of the gospel, and we call that the kerygma, because Greeks, Greek words sound cool, and we like to use them. And I don't know a better reason for why we call it the kerygma, <laughs> but it's the core of the gospel. It's the heart of Christianity. And it's simple. God created us and he created us good. Humanity was enslaved by evil. And then God himself came down from heaven to save us by destroying the power sin and death had over us. And he offered us eternal life. And so then we just have to have the courage 
to do whatever it takes to follow him. That's the gospel. That's what it's all about. So it's 3.01. I'm officially over time. I'm done now. Next week, we'll talk about Jesus.